I remember getting called into a room full of old men and they brought us in to tell me that nobody was going to watch a show about a woman who would sleep with a man the night before her first day of work. And they were dead serious. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Today, our guests are Shonda Rhimes and Betsy Beers, the award-winning creative duo and partners in crime behind Shondaland. Shonda and Betsy have worked together since the early 2000s, and they continue producing must-see TV. Shonda has written and created some of our favorite shows from Grey's Anatomy to Scandal and tons more. She is a CEO, a showrunner, a producer, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Year of Yes. We should also note that she's a minor investor in the skin. Betsy is Shonda's creative partner and the powerhouse executive producer who keeps the land part of Shondaland running as she produces and develops shows with Shonda and other writers. Recently, they've teamed up as co-authors to give fans a behind-the-scenes look at their latest Netflix hit with their book, Inside Bridgerton. Shonda and Betsy, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Hello. Hi. We are so excited. We're going to kick it off with some lightning round questions for you both. Are you ready? Uh Uh-oh. No, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Go for it. (laughs) Okay. What's one show or pilot that you'd love to bring back or revamp? And and not necessarily one that you have produced. Lost. I would love you to fix that ending. (laughs) I I didn't say the ending needed fixing. I didn't say the ending needed fixing. I just just am saying that, like, I would love you to put your, your spin on it. I just love that that whole idea and thought it was amazing. Betsy? We did a pilot very early on that somebody, it was the first pilot we ever produced that Shauna didn't write. And it was about journalists and it was called Inside the Box. And I think we always really loved it. And I would love another chance to make a show like that. Excellent answer, Betsy. Thank you so much, Shonda. I rather liked yours as well. You know, it could be like, you know, there's journalists and then they start a company and then 10 years later, they have a podcast called 9 to 5 <laughs> See, this, this is how genius is created. I just, yeah. I just, I just would like to say, I also just for the record would love to go back. The first um, pilot that we worked on together that Shonda created was about war correspondence. And that was also Oh my Great. God, I was thinking about I was thinking about that the other day. Oh God, my gosh. So I I loved and look, it was the first thing we ever got to work on together, but it really is an amazing, it was an amazing pilot. We had both come from movies at the time, so we didn't quite understand that the range of scope for a television pilot was slightly smaller. We so, wrote like a, I wrote a $30 million pilot. You, you <laughs> made a $30 million pilot with thousands of extras, but it was great. I love it. Okay, next question, Betsy. Is Shonda an inbox zero person or inbox a thousand? Wow. I think sometimes she's inbox zero and sometimes she's inbox a thousand. But I think she responds to her emails. Shonda, are you better off reaching Betsy by phone, text, email, or Slack? We Slack a lot. 
Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Hmm. I know. What Shondaland actor would play you in a movie or a TV show? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a tough one. I'd love to say Golda, Queen Charlotte, but probably <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't get somebody that glamorous. Or I'd love to say Sandra O, oh, but I have no idea. Audrey McDonald wouldn't be bad. I was just about to say, like, I That's think Audrey would be, yeah. w- would be great. You mean who would I want to play me? Yes, yes. Yeah. Shondaland actress. Oh, look. Um, wow. This one's really hard. Um, Kate Walsh. Oh, oh that's good. Good one. Good one. That's yes. a good choice. I mean, come on. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. no, that's a good yeah. one. Thank you for having her come back recently, too. <laughs> just right? really want to say that for all the great ones out there. It just felt like I, I needed it. Oh, yeah, it was a good moment. Yep. It was. When's the last time you negotiated for yourself? A month ago. What did you negotiate? Well, now I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can be like, you give us vague, the category. A deal. Uh, yeah. Real estate. Okay. Okay. Betsy, what is the most used app on your phone? Slack. Mm-hmm. Guys, you're really surprised me with the Slack commitment. We love our Slack. I okay. also, by the way, I love the phone. I mean, I do love talking. Or, yes. okay. you know, we both, we do talk. But I think I do just love me my Slack. I mean, it's just... <laughs> the efficiency. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, efficiency. It is. Shonda, what is the last book you read? The last book I read... You've been reading I a know- lot. I know I've been reading a lot. That's why my brain is sort of dead. I think the last book I read was, well, and I guess it's the book I'm reading now is The Light We Carry by Michelle Obama. Mm. Yeah. That's what's on my nightstand. That's that's what I picked up last night. So, Okay. Shonda, if you could spend, first of all, let me preface this for those who don't know. Shonda created the very critically acclaimed Carly's Aiken favorite, Princess Diaries 2. While she is known for many other things, I would just really like to call that out. So Shonda, if you could spend a day in the Ton, the bridge return, or in Genovia, where are you going? Oh, I think I'm going to Bridgerton. Genovia was a spectacular world, but very, very narrow. Mm-hmm. But either way, you get to be with Julie Andrews. Yes. That is Good true. Point. Good, Good point. consistency. Consistency there. Before we go to our broader conversation, inquiring minds want to know any chance of a crossroads redo redux oh <laughs> bring bring that on baby right? bring it on let's make it happen okay <laughs> so let's get into it how how did you guys meet what's your your meet cute oh my god so we had a meeting set cuz i had told my agents i wanted to do television and they set me up to meet a bunch of different producers and I drove to see Betsy Beers in the in the production company that she was working in. And I got completely lost and I was late. And I'm never late. I mean, literally, like I'm the person who arrives everywhere, even parties embarrassingly, like 10 minutes early. So I came in late and I was all flustered. And Betsy was super nice about it, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And we just started talking. We had one of those moments where you start talking to somebody and you feel like you've known them forever. And we had this meeting where there was, I think there was even, there was somebody else in the meeting, but Betsy and I just talked to one another for like an hour and a half or something like that. Yeah. And I think actually we were alone for most of the meeting. There was sort of 
a meet and greet. And then we actually got to sort of sit down and talk. And we had recently had gotten in from movies to starting to focus on working in television, which was always sort of my secret dream, even though I'd been working in movies. And a friend of ours who had gone to work at Touchstone, which is where the deal was, called and said that there's this writer I really, really want you to meet. I think you guys would really actually hit it off. And that was Shonda. So she came in and I had read most of the work that she had done up to that point, And I just fell in love with her writing. And we had, just what you said is we had this incredible first meeting where it was effortless and there were endless things to talk about. And I really, I just found her point of view and her approach to things both incredibly genuine and refreshing. And we just had a lot to talk about. I'm sure you guys get asked this too. And we get asked this a lot of like, you know, Danielle and I have had a great partnership for 10 years now. And like, people always ask us, how do you find a co-founder? How do you know that like, this is the right partner for you? And we always say like, you know, when it works, but like, don't try to force it because that could be the worst thing. So I'm curious, what is your advice to those that are saying, how do I find my creative partner? Do I need that creative partner? Some people don't need that creative partner, but to me, what was what's so wonderful is, is you know it's right. It's true. You know it's right when it's working. And it was always very easy working with Betsy in terms of talking about things creatively. We see the world in very oddly different but very similar ways. And we just get along. So, right, if it's not working, I guess you know it's not working and you shouldn't be forcing it. But for us, it just always worked. I also feel like there's a moment you come where you say, I don't know, this person brings out my best work. And there's something about working with Shonda where I feel like she encourages me and I find that I do my best work collaborating with her. It's the most exciting process. It is endlessly entertaining. And I think a lot of it is when you find somebody who makes you better at what you do, it's very often a really good partnership. Yeah. What do you look for when you guys are hiring now? I always say that we look for talented people who will argue with us. (laughs) And by that, I mean people who are fearless and will tell us what they really think. But really, we're in this great position now where we're able to search for sort of best-in-class people. We definitely like to bring in lots of young people and raise them and watch them grow in our company. But we also can bring in people who are just spectacular at what they do and raise our game. And I think also it's finding people who share our approach in a lot of ways to material, but who have strong points of view, who bring a lot of their own point of view to the table as well, and who are just really passionate about the work. You know, Betsy, you had done a career pivot from acting (laughs) and comedy into Uh producing, and I'm curious how you knew that this was the right path for you, that you should actually pursue this? I think I knew because I wasn't that good at comedy, for, first of all. <laughs> I don't know. You made me laugh a bunch today. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> good. And by the way, it's, it certainly comes in handy on long days. But I think what was interesting for me was I was working as an actor and in comedy or trying to, and I got a job reading scripts because I couldn't get a job waitressing, which is a whole nother story. But I, all of a sudden I 
found something really easy. And I don't mean that to be glib. It felt organic to me to be reading material and giving insights on how to improve things. Or it took every single thing that I'd learned from acting to studies in college to waiting on table. It took all of these different skills that I developed over the years. And all of a sudden, I found this place where everything was useful. And first, it started with reading and giving feedback. But the whole concept of producing was something that it it sort of fit me like a glove because I had been doing little pieces of what a producer does my entire life. And then it was put together in this incredible package. And I thought, wait a second, this is a job? Like all this stuff that I've been doing for such a long time is actually a job? So I think the long-winded way of saying, which is what that just was, a lot of pieces came together in a way that felt incredibly organic and a lot less stressful than the incredibly challenging life of being a performer. In the early 2000s, you guys start working together in TV. Neither of you have that much TV experience. And you have this little tiny little show called Grey's Anatomy that you come up with. And it's infamously been told that the pilot didn't get that much support or understanding at first. Put us in the room. Tell us what some of that rejection was like. What did you hear? And like, how did you deal with that? <laughs> and like, I don't get it because I think back to like, the had they pilot. not seen the pilot? The yeah. pilot's like one of the best pilots I've ever seen. It feels really obvious now, I think. But at the time, you have to remember, there had never been a show in which there was a lead character who is sort of who owned her sexuality on network television, who owned her sexuality. There had not been shows in which you saw three or four people of color in a room talking unless it was on a sitcom without anybody else in the room. You didn't see a lot of the things that we were doing. And I didn't really think about them as being revolutionary. I thought like, oh, we're just making a show that I want to watch. But I remember getting called into a room full of old men and they brought us in to tell me that the show was a problem because nobody was going to watch a show about a woman who would sleep with a man the night before her first day of work. Oh my God. And they were dead serious. Do you have a game face? Like, can you hide it or do you show how no, you feel? No, I have no game face at all. Okay, same. Right? Like, so like, w- did your face just like, what did you do? <laughs> I mean, I just remember sitting in the room because back then I was painfully shy. Yep. Very new to television. I'd never worked in television before. Grey's was my first show, really. And I was not a person who wanted to go sit in a room full of old men and tell them what to do. But I remember sort of thinking like, these guys don't know anything about what's happening in the world right now, but they're the people making the decisions. And so I'm struggling to come up with like what to say. And then Betsy (laughs) opens her mouth and says, do you want to say what you said, Betsy? Sure. Because they were saying, uh, there's nothing relatable about this show. I mean, I mean, look at this lead character. Who's going to want to watch this? I mean, this is a woman who goes into work for her first day at a new job having spent the night before carousing and drinking and having sex with a stranger. Who would do something like that? And Shonda looked like she wanted to throw up, which was the appropriate (laughs) response to this, but I couldn't help it. And I said, oh, that's me. I did that. (laughs) 
That's absolutely me. And what I didn't say was, yeah, I was probably drunk when I came into work the next day because I wasn't, I wasn't actually a doctor. So there was not that much yeah. at risk unless you thought bad development of a script might hurt somebody. Um, but I, I remember <laughs> saying that and it, I just blurted it out because I, it was true. I mean, it was sort of like we've all, we've all had these experiences where we go, we do something and the room went silent. Do you remember Shonda? Because they could not get out of that room oh fast enough. And they couldn't call me a slut to my face. Right. They didn't know what to do. They were like, these are these kinds of women. We don't, like, they were just horrified. It was exactly. But they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to say. And so I think that was the moment we sort of were like ride or, ride or die. Like we were, Yeah. we kind of were, okay, this is the world we're in. And look, I also have to say at that period, Exactly what Shonda said, which was, we did this because, and a lot of the idea came from the fact that there was nothing that seemed like us on TV at that point. There wasn't even really that many shows with a female in a center part. And I don't mean hair, but right, that in itself was surprising. Thanks to you, I've spent so many hours of my life binge watching things <laughs> like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, Bridgerton. The list has gone on and on. And Shonda Land has branched off into digital, audio, and other projects. When I think about what you guys have created, it is a track record of fantastic storytelling about and from a women's perspective. So much diversity, both in what you cover, but also the cast and, and who's putting it together. When did you decide to make the jump, Shonda, from specifically the creative lens to jumping into the additional role of a CEO? I mean, I feel like a lot of that came out of necessity. Once I had three shows on the air at the same time, it had only been like me and Betsy and like three employees. But suddenly we had to deal with merchandise. We had to deal with how things were being marketed. We had all of these things to deal with. And so it started with really bringing in people who could do those things. And then the more we started thinking about it and the more it worked, we began to think of other ways in which we could be telling stories. What are the other ways we could be filling up the world with these kinds of women that weren't just on screen? One of the quotes... We loved. When, oh, I was going to ask prep. about this. Yeah, when doing prep for this was, and I think this was from Shonda, quoted as saying, only one of us gets to be ready to quit at a time. Carly, <laughs> Carly and I have our own version of only one of us gets to have a breakdown. Like, you totally can have a breakdown. We can, just, never, we can never have a nervous breakdown at the same time. Yes. So there's like a moment where like somebody loses their shit, but the other one's like, okay, that's happening next. And then the other one will have it the next day. I'm just curious like what that dynamic is. Like Shonda, what's the kind of stuff that sets you off? Betsy, what's the kind of stuff that sets you off? I don't even know what the stuff is, but first I'll say, I don't know that it was necessarily me who said it. It's something Betsy and I say to each other all the time. But for me, I think there just the times when you get discouraged or you get sick of everybody or you're like, I can't roll this ball up the hill anymore. Like one more time, I'm going to die. It's always important for the other person to be like, it's okay, I'll take over. Otherwise, I feel like we'd collapse. And we do really work at it, I think. Agreed. Like we we work at it. We spend time, we talk about this a lot. Like we have to speak to each other a certain amount of times a week in order to feel totally sane, in order to feel totally centered, like we're really able to do the job. How many times a week do you speak to each other? It always it varies, but I think 
I think it's what I always call like the respect for the panic button because it's like we each have a panic button. And a while ago we sort of talked about it and we said, all right, look, it's sacred. If I hit the panic button, you've got to respond and vice versa. And in the old days, we called it the barking dog. Like Mm -hmm. we had this thing where it's like something's bugging you in the back of your head and you don't know what it is, but you know, it's bugging you and you know, it's going to be a problem. And I think very early on, that was sort of the precursor to this because we'd each kind of look at each other and say like, I think I've got a barking dog. And the rule was you never say no to a barking dog. You just accept that the dog is barking and it probably means something. And it always did. But I think the end result has been too, as we've grown over the years, it's having the respect for each other to understand when the person needs the support, sometimes just to listen, but also the craft and creative business of problem solving. Shonda, what are the ingredients that Betsy needs to like bring her best version of herself to work and thrive? Oh my God. It's really hard when you've known somebody as long as I've known Betsy and as intricately as I've known Betsy to think about like, what ingredients can she bring? Only because at this point, and this might sound like really, I don't, woo woo, she's like a part of me. So I don't really, I don't even know if I can describe that. Yeah. Like definitely like my other work half in a way that's really intense. So I don't know that it can be described in a very easy manner creatively, I know that if I have a creative problem, that's what I'm calling. I know that if I'm having an exciting thing, that's what I'm calling. I know, you know, like everything that we do, we sort of don't, we almost don't have to discuss everything anymore because our shorthand has become so well-crafted between the two of us. I feel like Danielle and I have that so much. Like if somebody had a wiretapped us, all they would hear is, did you? Yeah, I did. Did you speak to? I did. Like, we don't, we just like don't even finish sentences. (laughs) And so I feel like you're describing that exact dynamic, which is, you know, it's such a, it's such an invaluable thing. If you can find that in work, it's a very rare thing. I think if you can find that in a, in a partner. And so I'm wondering for those that are, are listening, how do you advise them to sort of find that like creative safety within work? A lot of times I feel like I, I make up things, I build things in my head and Betsy builds them in the physical world. Do you know what I mean? Like she takes the thing I built in my head and turns it into the physical world. And finding somebody who understands you enough to do that and to bring out the best in you in terms of story and who can who you trust to turn to you and say, well, that's not very good, is rare. So it's not like you can put an ad out for that person. You know, you just know when you find them. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just the process of when you start to feel safe being vulnerable, you know, and, and vulnerabilities like creative work, this is really vulnerable stuff. You're putting a piece of you out in the world. And a lot of it is finding somebody in any job who acknowledges what it is that you are putting out there and supports it and encourages your best work and is not, not afraid to be honest, because I think that's a whole other part of this is if we can't be honest with each other, at the very least, we can't do our jobs, but as importantly, we can't really work as well together. I don't know if you two find that too. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. I think that it is imperative if you're going to grow. I think, you know, having people that lie to you or kind of yes you 
they might be kind of nice to have in, in some <laughs> sense, but they don't help you grow. No, I think when I think back, like the harshest feedback we've probably ever gotten is like what we've told the other. Yeah. And it's come from obviously like a place of love and support and why it probably like didn't hurt because it's like it's for the same goal to, to move forward. One of the, I, I would say, kind of hallmarks of what you've created has been championing diverse storytelling, both in terms of in front of and behind the camera. Along that, it seems like mentorship is something that's important at Shondaland. Betsy, what do you find to be rewarding about helping up-and-coming talent? Oh, everything. I think it's one of the most rewarding parts of the job. Look, my mother was a teacher. I grew up in a world in which mentorship and simply sharing what you know or exposing people who are curious to as many things as you possibly can is key. And look, I've been incredibly fortunate that I've had, and I've been working with a number of people over the years who have stayed with the company and have discovered themselves through a different job than they originally started with. So a number of people who initially worked as my assistants, including Jess Brunell, who's running Bridgerton, and you know Daniel Robinson's a writer, and Lauren Holman, who now works in podcasts. And it keep, the fact that s- people started on working with me and that we were able to find what it was and help articulate what it was and the vision they had for their future, and then were able to explore that. And that the thing that has been built with Shondaland, that there's a place where you can continue to grow and expand. That's a gigantically satisfying part of this job. And it's, it's wonderful that we can very often keep the people around us who we adore and think are incredibly talented, but also watching somebody discover what it is they love and they want to pursue and get to a place where they're getting to do it is one of the amazing gifts of what we do. And I think, you know, interestingly enough, we were doing it naturally. Like it was something that we naturally did. It wasn't a thing that we were even talking about. It was just how we operated in general. And now we're at the place where we can be much more specific about it and Mm -hmm. purposeful about it. So now we can, you know, we're creating programs where we're bringing up line producers and we're creating programs where we're, you know, helping to train directors so that we're, it's much more purposeful and we have sort of a plan, a larger plan for it that makes our lives just a lot more fulfilling. I mean, I think like as a consumer of all of your, literally everything you've ever created, uh, as a consumer, it's very obvious that there is a kind of family within the Shondaland universe. Like you work with a lot of the same actors or you watch them sort of come back in in different capacities. What I love about your latest project of um, a new book about Bridgerton is that you really highlight a lot of kind of the geniuses behind the scenes. I'm curious what made you decide to sort of bring the behind the scenes and the story of Bridgerton to a book. Betsy and I couldn't stop talking about it. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about how amazing the stuff was that we were learning by watching all of these amazing craftspeople work and things that we had never thought of and jobs that were being created just to make the show happen and standing in costume houses where they're filled with costumes that literally were made by hand just for the show. And 
I don't know, listening to Chris Bauer's music and marveling at all of those things. By the way, like I have the book, I've read it. It's like not only interesting, it's so beautiful, you guys. Like I highly recommend getting it because it's a beautiful coffee table book. It really is. It is. But but we just wanted, we wanted to give a chance for everybody else to see how amazing those jobs were and highlight like their skill and their, the beauty of the work that they did. I think to some degree too, it's like, what's interesting is very often the average viewer doesn't know a lot of these jobs even exist. And it goes back to your early, it goes back to your earlier question about mentorship. Is there something about putting something in the world where Somebody who's watched the show may read this book and say, I didn't know this job. I'm so interested in that job. I could maybe do that job. I didn't know there was, you know, a dance master. I didn't know that there, uh, part of what's great about this is it just, it opens up the world for the viewer so that you read this book, you learn all about all the pieces that are going on behind the scenes and you'll go back and watch the show again, but you'll watch it from an entirely different perspective. What's like your favorite behind the scenes fact that you feel is in the book that we should highlight? (laughs) That Tom Verica, our directing producer, had asked the guys in the prop department to build a special stand for Queen Charlotte's wigs to sit on while she was wearing (laughs) them between takes because they were so heavy on her head and so hard on her neck. I want to get to our question from a listener. We've got a question that Selena wrote in. She says, I'm in the beginning stage of getting funding for my small business. What is some advice that you guys relied on when pitching new shows or receiving pitches? It's a good question. Yeah. For me, the biggest piece of advice that I think, and Betsy will have, watch, Betsy's going to say something 10 times smarter than what I'm about to say. No, no, no way. Yes, yes. But my biggest piece of advice is this. You belong in every room that you're in. And you should remember that and behave that way when you're in the room pitching. Those nerves and that fear and that whole imposter syndrome thing that takes over is useless to you. So just always remember that you belong in that room because you already are in that room. I love that. Okay, see, listen to that answer. I mean- no, that's a good answer. That's a a genius answer. But you're about to tell them something really practical. I know this. Something that (laughs) you can actually use. No, it's something I think that I literally said earlier when in doubt, repeat yourself, but don't forget that every single thing that you have done that leads to this moment is useful to you in this moment. Because sometimes you go into something and you think, well, I'm not qualified to do this. Like how will be every single thing that you've done, it could be folding t-shirts at Benetton. It could be, you had a job as a, you know, a, a zookeeper, that will really come in handy in a lot of places, actually. But every single one of those things, it all fuses together in a perfect way that allows you to articulate what your vision is. And all of those different skills will come in handy at any point in the future doing what your chosen field is. They are all useful. There is no time wasted. Never have any regret about what you have done in the past because it will always push you forward to the future. That is a great answer. And that idea that you're not qualified, I just want to point out that only women think that. Yes. Men never think. Totally. Men never think, I'm not qualified enough. They just do the job. Yep. We always, always remind ourselves of that. We're like, what man would ever second guess this? Like, keep going. So I I really appreciate you saying that. Or having the right to say, I'm doing a good job, period. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I actually, before we go and wrap, I actually have one more question, which is, 
we're coming out of the kind of height of the pandemic. We're dealing with, you know, especially women in particular have dealt with so much burnout and, and just a lot of fatigue. So I'm curious for both of you, how do you protect and maintain your creative energy? (laughs) You know, I want to end on an easy question. I know I'm, I'm laughing because you say this as if like, we have some magical like lock on how to do this when basically I think I've spent the last year struggling the same way everybody else has to hold on to my creative energy while raising kids, while doing all the other things. And Betsy and I, I've been on the phone with Betsy being like, Wah! and the two of us have been talking about this constantly. I don't know how you do it. What's one thing that you each do for yourselves to do that? I try to give myself time, like my own time, even though, you know, there are kids banging on the door or there's a dog that needs to be walked or whatever it is. I try to give myself, allow myself some slot of time that's just mine. It doesn't always work. Betsy, what about you? For me, it's the ability to waste some time. (laughs) What some people would think is wasting time, but for me is doing a jigsaw puzzle or doing Wordle or... Because it's the closest to meditation, sadly, I can come. But I think doing something which is literally, purely, simply for the hell of it is when I think I am probably regenerating and I don't feel it, but it's it feels like legitimate downtime to me. Yeah. That and I also have to say exercise. Like I do really find that, and I know it's a cliche, but I do a kettlebell workout and I, I walk a puppy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do the latter as well. Well, guys, this is such a treat. Like I can't tell you just how honored we are to be able to, to talk to you and get this insight. And I'm excited to now know that I don't want to mess with Betsy because she can lift kettlebells. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, final question. Yes. Who should we have on the show? Oh, you know who you should have on the show? Julia Quinn. Oh, I would That's love to. That's a great to. idea. She's a spectacular person. Brilliant. We would love to do that. Yeah. Shonda, <laughs> Betsy, thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise.